We're starting a brand new two-week message series called Family Vacation. Family Vacation. And what better time to talk about the family vacation than um, right now because it's summertime. How many of you plan a summer vacation pretty annually? How many of you wish you had a summer vacation regularly? How many of you miss summer vacation like when you were a kid? Yeah. All right. So um, do you have coffee? You can put it on the table if you do. So um, here's what we're going to do. I've invited some guests. And um, do you want to hold the microphone? Do you feel more comfortable holding? Stands fine for me. Stands fine for you. Okay. Um, I've invited some guests here with me today, and next week we have some guests as well. Next week we have our very own Gary and Candy, who sang this morning, uh, bringing the word next week, so I'm really excited about that. Yeah, give it up for Gary and Candy. But this week we have Paul and Kimberly Farinella. Um, Yeah. And uh, Paul and Kimberly, like most, I think, who have found Wayfinders, found us rather unusually. Um, and you've been here for like two years now, a little more than two years. It's right up. Okay, so two and a half years, the whole way, the whole way through. Um, and uh, they have been um, faithfully serving in a bunch of different ways. And uh, in some ways, behind the scenes with a lot of prayer, which is much needed. And in some ways, leading our missions um, and doing small group stuff and Bible studies and one-on-ones with people and all kinds of stuff. And I just could not be more grateful um, to have them share. And I asked them a long time ago to share a little bit on Father's Day about what it means to... um, really to capture the heart of God and share it with your kids. And uh, they've been working on this message off and on, and then we opted at the last minute to make it a conversation. So we're going to let you in on our conversation today. Would that be all right? Fantastic. Um, Why don't you start, Kimberly? Yeah. Um, Is this on? I don't usually speak into a microphone. Um, you, you don't have to really loud. You just talk to me. They'll get it. Okay. Um, well, first of all, really the only thing that qualifies me to be up here is that when God asks whatever it is, I try to just say yes. Amen. But that being said, I've spent the last couple of months praying that God would ask someone else, and he didn't. <laughs> so I'm up here. Um, Well, with the theme of travel and the beat-up RV, I don't have an RV story, but I do have an airplane story. Um, When Mary Rose, our oldest, was two, Julia was 11 months old, and I was two months pregnant with Anna, we decided that it was a great idea to go up to Connecticut and help our niece celebrate her first birthday. I'm here to tell you it was a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mila's not too much older than Anna was, at, I mean, Julia was at the same point. And somewhere between taking off in Austin and reaching what was supposed to be a comfortable cruising altitude, 
Julia let the entire plane know that there was going to be no such thing as a comfortable cruising altitude for anyone on board. And Todd, it sounds like with your recent Listen, trip, you can relate to that. By the time you land, all you're thankful for is that at some point, you hope your child will eventually just have nothing left. Mm-hmm. I, I, was, <laughs> yeah. I was praying desperately for a severe case of laryngitis. That's a fair thing to pray when you've got a screaming kid on a plane for hours. I will, I will second and amen that. And it's not always pretty. No, I, I don't know where your heart was on this recent trip, but I can tell you that mine was not for my child. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, let's speak to that for a minute. Um, I think this is really good, right? Because my experience, uh, so first of all, both going and coming, we had major issues. And what was supposed to be a four-hour trip ended up being like close to 16. So, um, And at one point, I was separated from my family, and my family was flying internationally without me, and all kinds of fantastic tales of the Barker travels. Um, but I will say this, on the trip home... Um, somehow the airline lost something that was checked at the gate, which I don't know if you've traveled airlines recently, but when you're walking down the little, um, is it called a catwalk? It's not a catwalk, but what is it? Jet bridge, jetway. Jetway, okay. Paul works for the airlines, so (laughs) I still love you. Um, Anyway. It wasn't even my airline. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you, you walk down and then you gate check at the door something and then when you get off the plane they're supposed to bring it back up and then you just take it Um, somehow they managed to lose the car seat for my infant child and uh, that turned into a lot of other things including she's cutting two molar teeth and has an ear infection and so like bloody murder scream on repeat for like hours and you're in a plane and you can't console your kid and you're seeing all the other people get really uncomfortable and, and then you're just blaming the kid. You're like, what, you, what is wrong with you? Just, and they can't even talk, right? You know? And so I'm trying to have compassion and I'm trying to stop the judgmental stares and I'm staring back at them with the, you know, the dad eyes like, ah, get back. You know? And uh, basically, my heart just wasn't for my kid. My heart was for no one. I was done. And... Um, I think sometimes in life, it doesn't matter what it is, we can feel done. But thankfully, we have a Lord and Savior that never feels that way. And it's hard for me to fathom that, right? It's hard for me to fathom that. Paul, you want to jump in? Absolutely. Looking back on it now, our our travel experience... We, our hearts had gotten hardened by the end of the trip. Like We had lost perspective. We thought we were travel experts. We <laughs> thought that we had this under control, no problem, and we had just lost it by the end of the trip. We didn't travel for 16 months afterwards in an airplane. And I work for an airline, so that's, and we love to travel, but we just put a moratorium right on that right then and there. Looking back on it now, um, you know, we did not realize we have a God who is with us and for us and steadfastly faithful with us all the time. 
kicking and screaming if little kids, adults, when we shut down, he is always there with us. And we had kind of lost sight of that in the moment. We've got a God who does not change his mind, whether it be with us, and he wants us to travel with him all the way. He, the heart of the Father that we have, God the Father, does not abandon us in the tough times. He's with those passengers on the airplane that are giving us grace. I had a scary, a scary, scary guy looking at me for four hours from New York City to Austin. Burning holes. Burning holes looking at me, and then he gets, flight is done, he goes and shakes my hand at the end of it. That was a, something I didn't expect. God was there, and I wasn't expecting that from that guy four hours into the flight. Um, the heart of the Father is just so generous for us. Um, lots of things, we can, lots of places to go in Scripture to look at that. I think we're going to read something from Genesis chapter 18 that kind of shows the heart of the Father. Yeah, so in Genesis 18, um, God's making this covenant with his people, and he's choosing to speak to uh, Abraham and, uh, and his family. And he essentially says, no, no, no. You know, guys, you're my family now. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And in fact, you're not just my family. I'm going to bless you because that's my heart. And you, in turn, are going to be a blessing and serve all those around you. I don't know about you, Paul, but I didn't feel like I was serving my kids well. And so when you got up and that man shook your hand, I had someone say, I got six kids. You guys did great yeah, um, yeah. at the end of that. And they're like, well, first of all, you got six kids. Amen. Bless you. And then I'm, you know, what a word of encouragement. I think that's God shows up in unlikely ways because he is for us all the time. He chooses us in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our tantrums, and he expects us to take that forward. And it's just a beautiful picture, just a beautiful picture. It really is. Whether at our best or at our worst, he's always with us. And we're not always good at kind of following that roadmap. Um, I'm going to go to Matthew 23. Jesus has something to say about this. We're going to go through about 12 lines of Scripture here, the first 12 lines of Matthew 23. Starting in verse 1, Jesus in the New Living Translation read. Uh, It'll be on the screen for you, too. Oh, good. It's up. Fantastic. And then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. But they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels. They love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Well, don't let anybody call you rabbi, for you only have one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. 
And don't let anybody uh, call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And wow, if I can't look back on our travel experience and realize how much like the Pharisees, Paul and I really were way more concerned about whether or not our children were following our rules, not theirs, and way more concerned about the perceptions of other people and matching up to their perceptions than I was sharing anything about God's heart. Yeah, in the moment, you're trying to be the perfect mom, you're trying to be the perfect dad, your kids need to be the picture card of, not the kid, okay, I just have to tell the story. Like, you go in the airport and you see the kid, like, on the backpack leash, you know what I'm talking about? Like, those were our kids. Yeah, (laughs) and, and, like, you know, sometimes it's just easier for safety reasons, but doesn't everybody always go, is that kid on a leash? Like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and There's and we get worried about what people think. Like this passage, Paul, that you just read, like I love how it opens up. It says, yeah, do what they teach. Just don't actually follow them because what they do is the exact opposite. They try to heap more on people. And I think we can do that spiritually really quickly. We have a tendency to say, once we feel like we're in or once we feel like we're at a spot, then we have to put more on other people. We love the praise or love the value or love the space that comes with it rather than catching the heart of what God is actually choosing to do. Absolutely. And I specifically love verses 9 through 12 and I want to read them in the message because I think it helps me grab hold of what Jesus is saying here. Don't set people up as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let him tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of father. We only have one father and he's in heaven. And don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. We all have one life leader, Christ. Do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. If you get all puffed up, you're going to get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life is going to count for plenty. I like to focus on verse 9. It's a little confusing when you read the scripture at face value. Jesus here is talking, he refers to Father as a spiritual authority. The Greek word is pater. And what he is saying is do not refer, look to any human being as your ultimate spiritual authority, your ultimate, the, the absolute spiritual authority. Um, And he's referencing in those verses up above there, the first eight verses, he's referencing the Pharisees who were his contemporary, I guess, the spiritual experts of the society. Yeah, the longer your tassels on your prayer shawl, 
the more authority or weight, which is why, like, the high priest had all that crazy garb that they're wearing because when they come in, that show is supposed to represent their power and their authority in terms of what they say goes. Absolutely. Jesus is saying they're not practicing what they're preaching. Um, There's no infallible source of human authority. I mean, the Father... I want to teach things to my kids, to my, want to be there for my wife, for my friends, for people I'm mentoring, wayfinders or the airport or wherever. But what I've had to learn is that I'm, I'm infallible. I'm not a be-all, end-all source of anything. And I like how Jesus is pointing, is pointing, contrasting Pharisees who are not practicing what they're preaching with his direction to follow God, search out God, the heart of the Father. Search this out first and foremost. Um, I have a bit of a story to kind of, in my own personal life, where roughly just before and after we got married, I had to put this into practice. And I didn't really even know how I was putting it into practice in the first place. So uh, let, me, uh, let me set the story up real quick. Uh, don't know if you know, Kimberly and I are an eHarmony success story. That's how we got married. Uh, but we didn't make the commercial, and the setup was that um, we were in a long-distance relationship. I'm from Hartford, Connecticut. Kimberly was San Antonio, Texas when we met. And I'm bringing this up to set the story up because as we were about to get married, and after we got married, we were still living apart. And for four months. Yeah, and we had done the long-distance relationship for two and a half, roughly, years. With flight benefits, it wasn't a big deal. But when the marriage came to be, uh, then we have to make a decision. Do I move to Texas? Uh, does Kimberly come up to Connecticut? Or do we meet somewhere in the middle and we both uproot ourselves? And Kimberly wisely took herself out of that decision. She recused herself. She, I'm sure she wanted me to come to Texas. But she let that decision be my decision. Um, so anyways, Did you I, feel like that was pressure? The whole, that whole year was pressure, I mean, to get married and to be making that life change, but with the particular dynamics of having every single human voice in my life, in my ear, close family up there, close friends and support with the airline up there, just a lot of connections, that's on one side and nothing is on the other side. Yeah, well, one of the most amazingly powerful and scary phrases in all of English is you decide. Yes. <laughs> That's, and, and that was probably the biggest decision of my life at that point. And I had a, enough of a relationship with God at that point to have a discipline or two, in other words, to like go and seek out his voice. I'd go to a church, I'd get by myself, I'd be alone, and I'm just waiting for his confirmation to stay in Connecticut. Yet that was not the voice I consistently and gently and steadfastly heard. Time and again, as I would go to a meditation place, I would be guided and directed that I am going to move to Texas rather than stay in Connecticut. There were points I would get up out of the church and storm out. I mean, it was like over and over again, that routine. So for the record, what you're really saying is it wasn't what you wanted. It's what God was asking you to do. It was absolutely on the other almost like a balance where there's a, this side and that side. Uh, everything was weighted on the left side, which was Connecticut. The right side was Texas. 
and that was how God was guiding me. Um, so I, I understand that you don't, there's a tendency to not want to hear God's voice first and foremost, um, not to want to please people, to want to wimp out, to want to have your own agenda. But when I was confronted with seeking God's voice first as a source of authority, I was kind of blown away and surprised, but I'm glad I made that decision. You know, you said you decide can be some of the scariest words to hear, but they can also be some of the scariest words to say. He was called to seek God as his only spiritual authority, but what God was asking me to do is step back and not try to be that spiritual authority. And y'all, I'm a huge control freak, and that was really, really hard. I mean, I think think back to that, and a few weeks back, I listened to a couple getting ready to celebrate their 45th wedding anniversary, and they were talking about where they were and the circumstances when they saw Neil Armstrong walk on the moon. And for me, that's how I feel when I look back on, I can tell you exactly where I was and what the circumstances were when God clearly said, you're going to let Paul make that decision. And... I don't, I don't care whether you're seeking God as your primary spiritual authority or you're stepping back so someone else can do that for themselves. It can feel a lot like jumping tandem. When I was in grad school, a girlfriend of mine decided that she wanted to jump out of a perfectly good airplane and roped me into doing it with her. And even though I knew that my tandem instructor had every reason to get us both down safely, it still gave me pause as we flung ourselves out of that airplane. So you actually did it? I actually I did totally it. would be, you know, those YouTube videos where the people pass out and like the rest of the, and then they wake up and ah, they're screaming again and they pass out. I, that would be me. Yeah. Yeah. You got something crazy going on. <laughs> but honestly, those few moments of free fall... When, when we hear Jesus in verses 11 and 12 saying, okay, so even though it's going to go counter to everything that you think should define success, should make you valuable, should, you know, should give you this sense of worth, when he says the real way to get it done is to be a servant, to step off the pedestal, to be humble, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but for me, those moments of free fall can feel a lot like that. But um, what I will say is that even though I honestly struggle a lot with being a servant, especially as a stay-at-home mom, this guy here, and I'm probably going to cry, <laughs> um, is one of the greatest servants and one of the most humble people that I've ever known. And he'd be the first one to try to discount that. But for those of you who know him, you know that it's true. And as we were going through this and talking about this, I just loved what he had to say about why he thinks that Jesus says that at this point in the scripture passage. Thank you. We struggled with this part. We, we did many practices in front of a mirror and sometimes ground to a halt here. Uh, verses 11 and 12. You know, Jesus, he humbled himself. He was God. And he didn't need to do any of this. 
He's urging us to be humble, to do acts of service. That, as human beings, this is about the best I think we can do to reflect the heart of the Father. As, for example, in many different ways in, in, in Scripture, God's heart is talked about. We focused on Genesis chapter 18 to live you know, kindly, humbly, fairly, generously. Uh, this is what God wanted Abraham to do and to pass that on to the generations that, pre, uh, that went after him. Not, that's us, actually. That's us thousands of years down the road. You know, we don't have sterling moral character. We can't do it. The Pharisees couldn't do it. We can't do it. I can't do it in my best minute, never mind the best day. We simply don't have that absolute moral character, that absolute strength. We will always fall short. We will fail consistently, even with our own best efforts. So as fallible human beings, we can't lay claim to being anybody's absolute moral authority. Um, That's God's domain alone. We can't look to anybody as an absolute source of moral authority. We can't place ourselves in a position of being anybody's absolute source of moral authority. And I have pride issues. I got big ego issues. I've done that. I was probably doing that for a long time, but I wish I had known this particular set of scriptures here where I'm not looking to focus anybody on my life. I want you to focus on having that relationship with God, that's where you need to source it from. Jesus knew that we would fall short, and that's why he's looking for us to serve, be humble. That's about the best we can do to reflect the heart of the Father that we are striving towards. Yeah. What I love about what you just shared is there's this twofold idea. See, when God becomes human in flesh, when he becomes a servant to all of us, when he, when, when he says yes to Jesus becoming the Christ, taking on sin, going through death, all of those things, we call that the incarnation, which just means taking on fleshness. And I think that's kind of what it's like. See, we can't really take a vacation from our family right? You can't take a vacation. Your family is still your family. And your spiritual family is still your spiritual family. And I'm not just talking about this church here, but the people that God has entrusted around you. And God has called each and every one of us to take on this heartbeat underneath and say, yes, my life is going to be about what I can do for others. Can I tell you something? Um, Sometimes that's really, really hard. I just went on vacation, and if you've ever gone on vacation with three kids, it's not really vacation. It's work, right? And it's okay that it's work. And I had fun, and they had fun, but there were times where it's in those moments, right? And this is just silly. This is just totally silly, y'all. It's in those moments where it's easy to say, I'm, I want to go do this, and I can't. I want to go have fun doing this with these other people, and, and I can't, and I'm stuck here. And yet what I know is that just like you were saying yes to coming to Texas, 
God uses those decisions. When you say yes, and you say yes all in, I'm going to be a servant to my family, the things that out, the outcomes that come of that are healing and restoration. The outcome of that are life-giving to people who otherwise would never receive it unless you said yes. In the same way, we would never receive it if Jesus doesn't say yes to the Father. And so um, I think it's really, really important that we take this lesson to heart on Father's Day that each and every one of us would choose to serve, that we would humble ourselves and really get to know the heartbeat of the Father. And sometimes it takes on really practical stuff, and sometimes it feels like jumping tandem, and sometimes we don't know where to go, and so we have to stop. We have to try some spiritual discipline, some prayer, some Bible reading, some calling on some elders that we trust and getting them to pray with us and pray over us and into us. Um, And so in order to kind of make this family vacation series really practical, I told you I was going to throw this question to you guys, and this is maybe a way that we'll end it this morning. Because there are practical ways that we can bring our spiritual family into our physical family, into our household, the place where you live, and the people that you interact with day in and day out. By the way, it's really easy for me to take uh, for granted those relationships, and so those are the ones that I usually dump the most on, which is probably why I wasn't feeling love for my kid in the plane, right? And so... Um, what is maybe one of the biggest kind of ways that you as parents are pouring spiritually into your kids that you maybe do with them or you challenge them with or you interact with them on to help build them up? There you go. Well, when we were talking about it, I said that we say yes, and Paul said we serve together as a family of five, and I think it's a both and, because we, a lot of the time, whether it looks like saying yes to the refugee community in Austin, or saying yes to going to East Africa, or saying yes to just inviting those neighbor kids in. Having lunch with somebody, doing something for somebody. I just, I think it's just living it out with them so So they don't just hear it. Saying yes. Can I give some context for everybody who may not know? Um, Their oldest girl, Mary Rose, uh, came to us like a year and a half ago, maybe a little more, almost two years ago, and um, said, hey, Pastor Todd, I love that she calls me Pastor Todd. She looks up, you know, and she's got this little sweet disposition, so I'll be her for a second. Hey, Pastor Todd. Yeah, Mary Rose, what's going on? Um, God's telling me that we should build some water wells. Or no, a a water well at the time. A water well. And so I'm going to do a lemonade stand at Market Days, okay? (laughs) Sure. Would you like to use the Wayfinders booth for that? That would be great. I'll talk to my mom about it. And that was the extent of our conversation. And she did. She did this lemonade stand, and she raised like 100 bucks, And that was the first seed bunny. 
And uh, that seed money turned into a couple of campaigns for our church, which got more people engaged in it from outside of our church. And that one little girl's vision of saying yes to God and walking through that step-by-step actually turned into three water wells in uh, Burundi and Tanzania, Africa. Isn't that amazing? And so this summer, you're going to get to go and see the first water well. Give it up for these guys. And so sometimes saying yes rather than dismissing the heartbeat of a kid, because we tend to have um, all the negative beat into us, right? All the cynical beat into us. While, while we're talking about that, sometimes, Paul, sometimes relationships, like on Father's Day, sometimes relationship with your father is not good. Can we just acknowledge that? Um, it can be a mixed bag for sure. And I think, I think there's plenty of people who have experienced serious challenges and so even the idea sometimes of addressing God as father elicits some rough stuff for some people. So I just want to say we acknowledge that, but the heart of your heavenly father is one, what did we read this morning to open it up? Gracious and compassionate. I, I just see a different type of heart when we read these scriptures. And if you and I, whether you are a father or not, will take to heart seeking after God's heart first, becoming the servant of all, I think some amazing things can happen with that. Paul, do you want to close this out? Or do you have something to say, Kim? Go jump in. I have one quick last thing. Um, I just feel like, if nothing else, maybe I'm the one who needs to hear this this morning. I heard a great quote yesterday from Lisa Turkhurst, and she said, you know what, it can feel at times like God is forsaking you, but the truth is that God never forsakes us. Sometimes he goes to great lengths to remake us, but he's never, ever going to forsake us. And so if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I just, this sounds really good, but I don't feel it. I've been there. In some ways, I am there. But it's not based on our feelings. It's based on just simply who he flat out is. Amen. That's what we got, right? Thank you all.